Cinema Sins has a fan club. It's called the Sin Club, and members get all sorts of things like early episodes, bonus videos, merch discounts, and even monthly bonus podcasts. Membership starts at $3 a month, and you can sign up now at patreon.com slash cinemasins. And he's like, yeah, y'all have me at Black Women. Whatever you need. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to SinCast, presented by CinemaSins. everybody welcome to the sincast this is chris atkinson from cinema sins joined by jonathan watkins hello hello and today we are joined by a very special guest it is writer co-director and co-star of a movie called if not now when uh tamra bass uh tamra welcome thank you well thank you for having me can you give us some sort of background i know this is like uh this is a story of four women who have known each other since high school but just sort of give us a background on what this movie's about and uh, and everything. Yes, it's um, yes, it's about four women who met in high school. They were bonded by an event when they were eighteen, and they, for the most part, have stayed friends. But as life has happened, um, there has been some estrangements amongst them. But they're all brought back together when one of them suffers a crisis, and they just need to jump in and help her out. So it's a story about love and friendship and sisterhood and just the bonds that form our lives, especially for women in their 30s. Like Some of the closest relationships you have are with your girlfriends. So it's just a story highlighting the camaraderie amongst women. Yeah. Um, uh, what was your inspiration for, uh, for writing, writing this and uh, making this into a, into a movie? Um, I wanted to write a love letter to my friends, essentially. I'm a creative. So the best way for Mm -hmm. me to say thank you is through some form of art. And as a woman who, you know, left home when she was 17 years old, these group, the group of women in my life have become my family. When something goes wrong in my life, they're the first people I call. I mean, the, my best friend, I've had her since I was 16 years old. And mm-hmm. we met at a summer program and we became pen pals. And oh, it's wow. 26 years later, she is still my best friend. She's the first call I make when I have good news, the first call I make when I have crappy news. Just, just my first call, or we just need to bounce you know, ideas off of each other and to look up 26 years later and say, not only do I love you, but I still like you. I still want to talk to you. (laughs) I wanted a way to say thank you to her, to say thank you for all of those moments where I didn't have the strength to say thank you. Thank you for loving me through my darkest of periods, through my brightest of periods. You have been the one consistent in my life. And I have a couple of more friends like that. And I felt like this was the best way to honor that and to honor what they mean to me. That's awesome. You made a whole movie about, (laughs) I love you guys. That's fantastic. (laughs) I I, I don't think I've ever heard this reasoning for making a movie before. Uh, It's, it's kind of amazing. I, um, I, I love it because I don't think, yeah, like I said, I've never heard that before, but 
Uh, and, and then I was going to ask you, you, you know, did, is there any th- personal experiences that sort of shaped your screenplay before you went into this? Oh, um, there's multiple, ex- like multiple things that I, I picked. And it's, you know, when you're a writer, actor, you tend to like put pieces of yourself in each character. So there, mm-hmm. each character, there's something within them that, I either myself have personally dealt with or someone ex- like extremely close to me has dealt with. And so everything is, is very representative of my life. Um, the infertility issues, the mm. um, infidelity issues. And it's funny, there's one line in there where um, the Deirdre character says to the uh, Suzanne character, she says, you know, life is not black and white. It's a whole lot of gray. And that mm-hmm. <laughs> was a direct conversation between me and my therapist. <laughs> and she no, said really? to me, yeah, she said to me one day, like, um, I was very, growing up, I was very, I was very regimented myself, not from any outside influences, but it was just for myself. My parents had me very young, um, 18 years old. So it was, how can I not repeat this. The only way I knew how to not repeat becoming a teenage parent was to live this very, very regimented life. Life was black and white. You do the right thing. Graduate high school a year early, graduate college with two degrees at 21, grad, like just oh, do everything in order, in order to not, you know, fall into the trappings of what can stereotypically become of a young black woman born to teenage parents, which no one knew my entire story. That's all they saw. So when I got to therapy in my thirties, I was very much like black and white. It's right or wrong. I'm wrong because I did X, Y, and Z and I'm being punished because I didn't follow the rules. And my therapist looked at me and she was like, I feel sorry for you. I was like, what do you mean? She was like, one day you're going to learn that the world is not black and white. And there's a whole yeah. lot of gray in there. And I was like, what? She was like, just be prepared. <laughs> and that clicked with me because it allowed me to heal. It allowed mm-hmm. me to forgive myself of things that I deemed horrible. It allowed me to give myself more grace. It allowed me to, to love myself just a little bit more because I didn't have to look at the world through this singular lens. And mm-hmm. of course I was like, okay, have to incorporate that. And that's, so that's where the Suzanne character and I overlap because we both have this very clear idea of what life was supposed to be like. So yeah. um, now that I'm a little bit older, a little bit wiser, um, and a little bit messier, I get to see like there's so much beauty in the unknown. There's so much beauty in the complexity of life. And there's so much beauty in the nuance, even in the mistakes, even in the, oh my God, I did it again. Let me fall down and get back up. There's beauty in that. So right. I'm, I wanted to explore all of those things. So a lot of that is incorporated into, um, there are direct moments where 
I like my friend will be like one 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 of my best friends saw it and she started laughing. She was like, "Did you really put the destroying of the stuff in here?" I was like, "Yes, because you <laughs> did that, and I had to stand by and watch it and watch you destroy." Like <laughs> my friend did that. Like she, I was on. I'm freaking out. So in that moment, I was Deidre and like I was like, "What are we doing? No, you can't do this! <laughs> like stop! We're gonna get arrested!" I mean, the patio yeah. furniture went into the pool. Everything. It was oh, just. No. All of those moments. So I was like, I have such, wow. when you get older, you realize like you have so much richness. There's so much story. And I feel like with black women, we don't always get to have simple stories with nuance. There's mm-hmm. always this expectation of either we're, you know, this downtrodden or we have to be funny or we have to be competing with each other where it's like my relationships are, are, we have the same stories as everyone else, but we don't get to see them. So I put all that in there. (laughs) Yeah, it seems like it. I mean, there's no doubt about it that uh, a lot of the, the, uh, the problems that come up in this movie are uh solved through uh friendship and and the advice the friends give to each other and everything uh there's no doubt like nearly everything in here is because of that support system yeah Um, and it's important to to highlight that because it's it's a reality for a lot of people you um co-directed this movie with megan good who is Mm -hmm. also in this movie and I, I, it's interesting. I I've seen co-directors before, but I'm not sure I've seen co-directors and co-stars, uh, in the same movie before. Uh, how, what was the dynamic like there? What was, uh, uh, what, is it, is it sort of, uh, I'll take this and you take that, or was it both of you at the same time or how did that work? It was, it's interesting because, um, we, when we were plotting this out, we looked up and we're like, oh my God, this has never been done before. Like we couldn't find any instances of co-directors who also co-starred in a movie that one of them wrote and that they're both producing. And when we say producing, (laughs) we mean like hands on producing. So Mm -hmm. um, we, we had great prep and we had a great support system. Our line producer, Joyce Washington, we sat down with her in pre-production and was like, okay, let's schedule this in a way where the very first week we're not on camera. We're having, mm-hmm. you know, we have the ability to really bond with our cast and figure out our style. Like we had this in prep, we had this notion that, okay, on Monday, like it's your day, you know, we'll talk amongst ourselves, give the notes and only one of them will one of us will approach the actor or whoever we have to give the note to and we will mm-hmm. tag team back and forth but by the end of the first week or not not even the end by the middle of the first week we realized that doesn't work because the we certain actors started to respond like to one more than the other and we're like okay we have to make sure cuz everything was cohesive so mm-hmm. by the second week we which is the week I started on camera we realized that we just both had to give the notes. So, and what we discovered is that we were both looking at two different things. So our notes were never, like we were always in sync, but our notes would never be redundant. 
And we had mm-hmm. one actor come up to us and they were like, it's so interesting watching you guys. It's like two halves of one brain. Like you <laughs> would come over here and say, okay, da, 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 da. And she comes over and says, da, da, da. But they always match together. And it was mm-hmm. just, I think it was the weeks of prep, the weeks of talking with one another. And then also the fact that we have been friends for 20 years. So Mm -hmm. it was like we knew each other's (laughs) shorthands. We knew each other's shortcomings and what was, you know, what wasn't like, what was our strengths? What was our shortcomings? So it tended to be a lot easier than even we anticipated because we just, it was the preparation that went into it and making sure we had the right support system. The first time that we were in a scene together (laughs) was Mm -hmm. towards the end of the second week. And we had decided before the scene started, you know, we would, who would say I would, because it was a a strong scene for her. I'm like, we will take the action off of you. You say action when you're ready. And then I'll yell cut. Well, the Mm -hmm. first take, I was so into it. It was like in the moment, in the scene, like in it. And the scene ends and we're standing there like in this intense showdown. (laughs) (laughs) Someone was like, who's going to yell cut? I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was me. I'm supposed to yell cut. Cut. (laughs) And we started cracking up, but we had a rhythm down. So it became, you know, it was. It wasn't as challenging as some may have thought it would be. We just knew in that moment we were creating history and we had to do it right. So Yeah, um, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, we wanted to have a precedent so that when that next those next two young ladies who have heard no in various incarnations has an example of what a yes looks like. So... We tried it and it worked. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I also really liked, I guess, I guess Megan's kind of got the, uh, Megan Good's kind of got the inciting incident, you know, storyline that brings, brings all of you back together. Um, and I, I just, I thought it was interesting, like the, the subject matter that you chose to address, because I feel like in a lot of movies, it would have been something a lot more over the top, right? Um, you know, cocaine or, uh, you know, cheating or just, you know, just something like, you know, um, um, like that. I, 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 but what you got, but what you ended up doing, I, I don't know how much we're really, you want us to talk about, I, I don't know if that's really a twist or anything, but, um, no, I think it happens in the top. So it's yeah. not, it's not really a twist. And even in the trailer, you know, that there's, there's something like she has addiction issues. Oh yeah. Um, fair point. Yeah. Yeah. But I just, I thought that was a great, I just thought that was an interesting, the, the oxy addiction, you know, cause I just, I just feel like that's so, that's so relevant today, especially. Oh my um, God. So, yeah. and it's crazy because this, you know, when you write a script, there's so many drafts of the script that go through, um, you go through and what I've learned is, um, I only take notes from certain people and I know that sounds bullheaded, but I realized like not everybody gives you notes from the right place. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. at some point, we ha- at one point we had a different director. Um, we had this amazing, like she's one of my favorites. Her name is Tanya Hamilton. And mm-hmm. we, we, were, we were originally set to do, co-direct it. We were like, yes, we're going to do this. And then as we started like going through the financing, we we're like, well, maybe we should give an opportunity to someone else. And I've been trying for years to like figure out how to work with Tanya Hamilton because 
she directed this indie called Night Catches Us. And I just loved it. I loved what she did with the small budget. I loved the nuance. I was like, yeah, she's it. So we met with her. She loved it. She came on board. She was like, she rolled with us for maybe a year and some change as we like different funding came in, came out. And at one point, I do believe I had her addicted to cocaine and Mm -hmm. she, um, but she still had the same story, meaning like she was upscale Mm -hmm. and Tanya was like, you know, it'd be interesting if you did some research, maybe opioids. And I was like, wow, I didn't think about that. So I dug in, I did research and I realized that opioid addiction, number one, it, it affects everyone thinks opioids and they think, you know, meth head and all that stuff. And I'm like, no, opioid usually attacks upper middle class women um, and, mm. and upper mid- like the upper middle class set because it's they justify it by saying I have a prescription for this and they justify right. it by saying, you know, I have pain and slowly they become addicted and you see more and more of these we call them you know soccer moms addicted to painkillers and Mm. once she said that and I started looking into it and I was like oh this is it this fits even even better because it's something that isn't really addressed and it's it's a different way into what her underlying problem is because it's not it's not about the addiction it's about she doesn't always confront what is bothering her. So it's an escape for her. And what better way to escape than to have a drug that literally numbs you? So Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to just, once Tanya said that, I got it, you know, I got to give her credit for that. Once she did it, and I'm a research person because I've never had addiction issues. So unless it's like, addicted to a certain restaurant like I will go I will eat out at the same restaurant for like three weeks in a row until I'm just over it but once she said that I was like okay yep this is it and we just rode with it from there it uh I think it makes the movie better because you know you can see it in her eyes when she's in rehab and she's in the therapy session and the one woman is talking about smoking crack and mm-hmm. you can tell you can tell that uh, Tyra doesn't think this is the same thing. Yeah. Uh, she's sitting there just going, you know, you mm-hmm. can she doesn't eye roll exactly, but you can see it in her face. And and like it and and I was like, yeah, she's taking this the entire the, the way that I think people would in this situation because you wouldn't think that OxyContin is like crack, but it it is in a lot yeah. of ways. <laughs> it's the same it's addiction is addiction is addiction and i think that that's there's this um that i wanted to play with that i wanted to play with this idea that you're are you better because your addiction is a little white pill and hers happens to come in a vial with you know a, a crack pipe no you're all the same everyone has their thing that they're dealing with yours just happened to be neater because you can trick a doctor into writing a prescription for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. 
ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com slash prenatal. Um, what, uh, you have a, a, a tremendous cast here. Uh, what was casting like? You have uh, a lot of people that I was not personally familiar with, uh, until mm-hmm. this movie. Um, uh, tell, tell, tell us a little bit about uh, your big cast here. Oh my gosh. It was, um, it was interesting because you know, you're casting a movie, you want the best performers, but at the same time you're like, so guys, uh, bad news is we don't have any money. <laughs> so um, <laughs> we love you, but this is all we can pay you. But mm-hmm. what we learned was that if people rep- responded to the script, the amount of money didn't matter, you know, especially because we shot over a summer. So no one's really working, um, mm-hmm. every, you know, in between shows. But we had an amazing casting director, this na- woman named Kimberly Harden and this other woman named Kimberly McCullum. And ironically, Kimber, Kimberly Harden cast me in Baby Boy 20 years ago. And oh, wow. she cast Megan in Think Like a Man. So we've oh, wow. had this, this relationship with her. So we're sitting and we're like, it's such a full, full circle moment. So yeah. um, we did, you know, we did offers and some people said no. So once we dug into the casting process, Valerie Petterford was the one that plays Lorna was the very first person to say yes. Like she mm-hmm. read the script, immediately called her representation and was like, I don't, I know I'm scheduled to do another movie, but whatever you guys have to do, make this work because I need to do this and I want to show up for these women. And mm-hmm. she showed up. And then everyone else, you know, Edwin, who plays Walter, who is Patrice's love interest, we have known each other since we did Boston public back oh, in like, the no way. so we're <laughs> laughing. Cause I'm like, you know, when we're making these lists and we're trying to find love interests and I'm in a very precarious position, I look extremely youthful. So mm-hmm. if you cast the wrong man opposite me, it's going to look weird. It's going to look yeah. a little like, even though, I am almost, you know, I think I'm like eight or nine years older than Edwin. I'm still like, I look young and I finally have embraced it. Like at first I was like, no, I don't. I I, I don't look young. And I'm like, I do look young. So when I called Ed, you know, Edwin, we sent it out to him. We were going to do a chemistry read and then we said, screw it. We'll just make an offer. And he immediately said yes, but we're laughing because I'm like, we've known each other since you were 16 years old. And this is now weird. We're now kissing (laughs) each other. This is odd. Um, (laughs) Everyone else, like Makia came in to read for Suzanne. And when she came in, I looked at her and I was like, okay, this is interesting. She has a bump. And she goes to start, you know, her scene and she does her her first scene and nails it. And mm-hmm. then she moves the chair and she goes, sorry, guys. And she rubs her stomach. And Megan looks at me and she goes, is she method? Like, I'm confused. Like, <laughs> I was like, I think she's really, I think she's pregnant. And she was like, I am. This is my first baby. And we're like, oh, oh. my God, how perfect. So she was wow. actually pregnant. She came in, she read, and she was like, do you know how rare it is to like audition for something 
when you're pregnant and the character is pregnant. And then like after her audition, which blew us out the water, we started talking and come to find out like she's really good. She's friends with my best friend since I was 16. And I was like, okay, small world. And it was like, there are all these parallels between her life and the script. Like she has four best friends. And I'm like, okay, this is just perfect. The hardest role was the Deirdre role. We had mm-hmm. made some offers and things like scheduling didn't work out. Like people were like, oh, I would love this, but I'm tied to this. So it's Monday before 4th of July. We were scheduled mm-hmm. to start. So it's Monday. We were scheduled to start shooting one week from that Monday. We mm-hmm. had, and we were starting with the Deirdre character. We knew mm-hmm. that everybody, all the agencies were shutting down that Tuesday at 1230 because 4th of July was Wednesday. We had a table read schedule for that Friday. And then we start shooting Monday. We don't have a Deirdre. So no, we, wow. we have a set of auditions. And that Monday, we find someone in that audition. We ask everyone that came in, like, do you have any scheduling conflicts? Do you have any? Everyone's like, no, no, we're clear. We're clear. So we find a a woman in that session. We're like, okay, she's perfect. We go, we make an, by the time we get back to our office from casting's office, they're like, we made an offer to her, but she has another offer on the table. We're like, wait, what? (laughs) So we're like, okay, guys, it's now like five o'clock. We don't have a Deidre. Like, so Megan's on the phone with the act. She's like, give me her phone number. I'm just going to personally call her. I'm like, Megan, you, you barely know this woman. You're just going to cold call her. She's like, I don't care. We have to say, I'm calling. I'm like, okay. So she calls and she's on the phone with her. And usually I'm the one that freaks out and starts to panic. And for some reason I had this like zenness. I was like, everything's going to be okay. Like it's going to be mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I'm like, you know, there's a tape we never saw. I was like, can I see Megan Holder's tape? And mm. I kept saying it. And they were like, we showed you the tape. And I'm like, nope, it was never on the link because Megan Holder read for Suzanne originally. Mm-hmm. And I was like, can I see Megan Holder's tape? And I just kept saying it over and over again, like very calmly while Megan's on the phone with this actor and our casting directors are over here freaking out. And I was like, can I just, can I see Megan Holder's tape, guys? So mm-hmm. we leave the office. It's like six o'clock at this point. I haven't eaten all day. As I'm driving down the street, my phone goes off. I pull over and it's Megan Holder's tape. I like pull <laughs> over to watch this tape in on the middle of like Magnolia Boulevard. And I'm like, I get through like the first scene and I call Megan and I was like, that's our Deidre. I found our Deidre. I found our Deidre. She's like, wait, wait, I'm going to pull over and watch too. She pulled over. She watches. She calls me back. She was like, are you sure? I was like, I'm sure. That's our Deidre. She was like, that's our Deidre. We call Kim. We're like, make the offer. We're like, she's like, are you sure? Because we don't have a lot of time. We're like, make the offer. We make the (laughs) offer. And by the next morning, she closed. And we were like, whew, thanks. Okay, so now you got to go learn this dance. She's like, wait, what? (laughs) So it it was a bunch of that. And, you know, we found Lexi. This is pre Little Fires Everywhere. We found Lexi through an audition. it was between her and one other woman. And it's crazy, funny story that Lexi and I got extremely close. So she became like a little like mentee. 
mm-hmm. when I read that Carrie and Reese Witherspoon were doing Little Fires Everywhere, I read the book and mm-hmm. I called her and I was like, I called her and her mom and I'm like, I don't know when this is going to go because Carrie's on Broadway right now. But whenever it goes, you need to audition for Little Fires Everywhere to play Carrie's daughter. She's like, mm-hmm. what? I was like, you would be perfect for Carrie's daughter on Little Fires Everywhere. Flash forward. She calls me. She's like, guess what? I'm like testing for Little Fires Everywhere. And then like <laughs> two days later, she, she sends me this text like with all capital letters like, Miss Tamara, I booked Little Fires Everywhere. And I was like, great. Yeah. Like, I saw that coming. <laughs> so yeah, it yeah. was just, you know, we just did the good old fashioned audition process and lucked out and got a cast that brought all of my words to the table. And what's interesting is in our table read, I told them, I'm like, guys, if there's anything that doesn't feel right, or you want to change some words, or you want to, you know, say, hey, Tamara, this doesn't make any sense. I want to say this. I was like, I am no Shonda Rhimes. I was like, Mm -hmm. so you guys have full reign just as long as you know it stays within the spirit of what we're trying to say in the scene go for it Mm -hmm. and i am very proud to say that what you see on that screen is about 97 percent of my words verbatim and i'm like no errors you know it wasn't everyone kept saying like we don't have to because you write dialogue in such a conversational way that everything feels natural like there is Mm -hmm. I'm saying I'm just all I have to do is say your words and they're there and I feel we've had so many people ask us like well how much is this this was in improv and I'm like "Mm, none like it's all it's all what I wrote so we I, I take I give that as a testament to our cast I'm like they made you believe then my words sound good. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I I don't know if there's a question in here, but I, I, there was a there's a scene with uh, with Megan Good and Lexi at the end of the movie, mm-hmm. uh, and I was I was struck at uh, for whatever reason that you know she Lexi's around the same age as Megan Good was in Eve's Bayou, mm-hmm. and. And I oh, was yeah. wondering if there was like sort of any like advice or, or I, I kind of wanted to be a fly on the wall for <laughs> conversations between, you know, people who have, you know, have, were that young getting into movies and everything. And, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know, I was just struck by that. Was there like any kind of advice or anything going on uh, with her or is Lexi just such a pro at this point that she doesn't need it? She, she, it was a combination of both. Like she was a pro, but this was mm-hmm. also up to date one of her biggest roles. So yeah. it was, you know, it's, and it's, we're asking a lot of her, you know, we're asking a lot. And, the she is one of the rare instances where she's actually the age that she was playing versus you know people like me (laughs) could be 21 playing 16 she's (laughs) actually she was actually when we shot that she was 14 about to turn 15 so Mm -hmm. it was um a combination of getting her to trust her instincts and then if there were like emotional scenes that she you know was beating herself up over Megan was very gracious to be like okay look bringing up Eve's Bayou which ironically is my favorite movie 
Oh, it's a great she, movie. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's the it was the first movie that I saw that was representative of the types of stories I wanted to tell. Meaning mm-hmm. like Casey Lemons constructed a movie about this family. It's so simple on paper, a family in New Orleans dealing with like infidelity and you know the 60s but it wasn't it wasn't up until that point I hadn't seen stories that were just stories and the characters happened to be black like they mm-hmm. weren't there it wasn't a black story and I like right. to write I like I always tell people I write representational of black life versus mm-hmm. presentational of black right. life and Casey Lemons and Eve's by you was so representational of it was just a story. Oh, and they happen to be this this affluent black family. Yeah. So and it made and she made me feel like I was in New Orleans. I felt like I felt everything. And I got the pleasure of like thanking her when we did Urban World. I was like, you know, if it wasn't for you, I don't know if I would be making movies. Um yeah. because you inspired me. So Megan was able to use, you know, cause she was like, you know, there were days when I had emotional scenes on Eve's by you and I was nervous and, you know, Samuel Jackson or Lynn Whitfield would pull her aside and, you know, just give her advice. So she would, you know, she would do the same with Lexi and then Lexi, like I said, she and I became close. So she would come to me. So it was this very, we made sure Lexi was protected. We made sure like, if you need a moment, you have full full reign to ask for a moment. Like you, yeah. we, we recognize that you're 14 years old. And mm-hmm. some of these scenes are, we're, we're asking you to dig deeper than, you know, maybe you've experienced in your real life. So it was, it, I think having Megan there was a welcome presence for her. Yeah. Like I said, I wish I was sort of a fly on the wall because it's like I'm, <laughs> Sort of a multi-generational like uh kind of uh, uh advice thing you know going on there's like this is what you know this is what sam jackson told me i can call him that but you know that's the type of thing that uh you know i, I always find interesting is what uh, you know prior experiences go into stuff like this where now she's of the age where she can impart knowledge and everything so, right it becomes a cycle it's it's a it's a you know, each one teach one. So that's the model that I've always lived with. Like if you gain knowledge, it's not, it's not for you to keep for yourself. It's so that you can impart it on someone else and share it with someone else. And if Mm -hmm. we don't do that, it's selfish. It's, we're not putting anything forward. So it's an each one teach one situation. And I feel like with that, Lexi got a lot of you know advice and a lot, and she aspires to direct and produce so it was like days that she wasn't working sometimes she would be like hey can I come to set and just shadow and we'd be like yeah come ask questions awesome. like you know if you had what do you think about this and there was like one scene where she wasn't um it was like a late night and she comes downstairs and I'm like and she calls us Miss Tamara or Miss Megan, and it's the cutest thing. And she's like, Miss Tamara? And I'm like, oh, my God, are you sleepy? I know we're going to get to your scene in a minute. I'm so sorry. She's like, no, no. I was just wondering if if I could shadow while, you know, while they're shooting. And I'm like, of course. Like, pull your chair up. And so I was like, hey. I was like, what do you 
so there's this this scene between Lorna and Tyra and I had her watch it and I'm like okay I'm gonna let you take over on this take I was like do you did you like that take and she's like well I was like don't tell me go tell them so you see her like run into the room and she gives this note and you, she's trying to explain like the note and it's cute because you could see her like 14 year old brain trying to figure out how to tell like Valerie Pettiford and Megan Good what she sees <laughs> so she gives the note and then I'm looking at the monitor and you see their faces like oh my god this is so precious so it's like she runs back and she didn't tell me her note and when I heard her deliver it I'm like that's the exact note I would have given so mm-hmm. I'm proud of her so she, then you hear her say action and like it would, took everyone by, by like, you know, they were like, wait, what's happening here? But that's our goal. That's our job. Yeah. If you find mm-hmm. someone who is aspiring to do what you do, like, I'm, I'm, I still have mentors. I have people that I call, like, my best male friend is a director in also my human film school. I literally mm-hmm. call him for everything because I'm still learning. So I'd be like, wait, wait, what, what is this thing that they're asking me about? He's like, okay. And he breaks it down in these layman terms for me. And I'm like, okay, great. So it's like, if you don't have, if you're not passing back the knowledge, then what is the point? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm glad that you gave her agency in that. That's uh, it's a really cool thing. Don't tell me, tell them, you know? Yeah. Uh, so so that's a really great note because it's, uh, I think that sort of builds confidence, you know, like, uh, you know, that she, she probably went in there and, you know, like a nervous 14 year old, but then, you know, it, you do that more and more and you start realizing, Hey, it's not that big of a deal. It, um, and she's so, and she's so good in the movie and, Obviously, a lot, you know, a lot of that has to do with with your writing and then and then her performance. But she just she felt like a kid, like which you don't see enough in a lot of movies. Um, and it was important to me that yeah. she be a kid. Yeah, she be. Mm-hmm. You know, you see these like even with her little budding relationship with Michael. It's you know we never see them kiss. We never see them. We kept them mm-hmm. kids like that innocent first crush that first the first guy that actually sees you and sees Mm -hmm. you from an organic place so we wanted like it was important to me that she she's wise she's smart but she's still 14 yeah absolutely even like those small moments like where uh Deidre's you know, trying to get her to join the class, you know, mm-hmm. since she's there anyways, and she's really nervous and shy. Cause I've got a daughter who's a, a few years younger than uh, she was in this movie, but, uh, but I still saw a lot of that in her, you know, I can, uh, those moments felt very authentic. Yeah. I have an 11 year old. Well, she's technically, I guess I can say she's my niece, but I always say my sister just gave birth to her for me. <laughs> right, um, right. <laughs> and she has my face, which is hilarious. Oh, wow. Like she, Everyone looks and they're like, wait, why does she have your exact face? I'm like, that is God and genetics. Like he just knew like this. <laughs> so I, but she's 11 and there are moments when I look at her sometimes, like she just spent two months with me because obviously school was, is closed. So she did school from mm-hmm. here for two months and I would look and she would do something and I'm like, oh yeah, you're 11. <laughs> I forgot you're 11. That's what 11-year-olds do. <laughs> That's, I remember being 11. So I, and I try to keep her 11. Like, you mm-hmm. know, she's not allowed to have Instagram. She's not allowed to have, and, you know, explaining to her why. But I'm like, I'm trying to, like, 
I was lucky enough where I didn't grow up in this age of like social media and the internet and everything is instant gratification. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I had to learn the Dewey decimal system. I had to like (laughs) go and wait for the encyclopedias to come out every year. Um, So (laughs) I, but in that I was able, you know, I had a different upbringing. So keeping her 11 in the 21st century, like making sure, like stay innocent, the world, especially with little black girls, we already over-sexualize you. We already stop looking at you as children mm-hmm. too early. So mm-hmm. I, in writing the Jillian character, I was like, it's important to me that she stays 14. She is not a young, she is not a woman. She is still a girl because mm-hmm. her Caucasian counterpart or her Asian counterpart, they get to be girls until they're 18. You get to be a girl too. That's why she wore the oversized clothes. She, my 11 year old, I tease her all the time. I'm like, why do you dress like you're homeless? Why do you have, like, we go shopping and she literally buys the same. I was like, we could have just, you know, done Goodwill. Like, why are we here? Why am I spending money for an oversized t shirt in big sweatpants? Like, we couldn't, I could give you that for my closet. And she's, but it's a, like, if that's what you like, I want you to, to stay yeah. that way. Stay as innocent as long as possible because the world is already trying to age you. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I was going to go over your character that you play, Patrice, in this. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this one, I'm, I'm assuming you, you picked, well, I don't know if you picked this character, if this character picked you, but um, but uh, it's a, it, this is a thing that I think a lot of people have a hard time understanding uh, about certain relationships. And you're in one here where the guy couldn't be more perfect, right? Like he's mm-hmm. a doctor. He's unbelievably good looking. Um, uh, he wants to make breakfast for you. He has all <laughs> these different he has these different plans for you and everything. And, and yes, I can see how it overwhelms a, a character, but like, like, uh, can you explain that sort of that, uh, you know, that, uh, I don't know, rejection before you can get rejected or that whatever it is. Yeah, it's, make that um, happen? I get, yeah, it's this notion that when you Patrice is, I mean, there are parts of, there are definitely parts of me in Patrice. Um, mm-hmm. But honestly, it's funny. I think the character I probably most like in real life is Suzanne. But mm-hmm. um, there are definitely, there are definitely elements of Tamara that I put into writing Patrice. And then especially once I knew I was playing her, I was like, okay, this is, this is a chance for me to A, play with different things, but also like really touch on issues that we as women have. And that one of them is we tend to, at least Tamara does, we, she tends to try to look 20 yards down the field. Yes. I'm a football Mm -hmm. junkie. She tries Mm -hmm. to look like 20 (laughs) yards down the field and, you know, or she's projecting the touchdown or projecting it, projecting an interception before she even steps on the field. So in order to avoid that interception, she's just like, screw it, I'm not going to get on the field. And that tends to be what Patrice does. She dismisses things before they get there. And there's this idea that, you know, she, because of her past marriage and her past relationship, she, she feels like as soon as I tell this man this thing, this is what's going to happen. So I'm just going to preemptively 
end everything. And mm-hmm. it's it's a sad way to live. It's a sad way to um, experience life. And it takes, mm-hmm. you know, her friends and her to check her to say, look, who knows? And even Walter says it, who knows what the future holds? All we can control is this moment, live mm-hmm. in this moment. And Patrice is a protector. She's a fighter. She's a like, if there is someone in her life that's hurting, she's like, okay, let me just figure out how to fix the problem. Let's just go ahead. And this is how we're going to do it. She goes into autopilot and it takes this man who, you know, I would love to know what happens with them. I would love to know, you know, do they adopt? Do they do this? Because I think it's the first relationship where she has someone who is saying like, I see all of you and I still want to be here. Mm -hmm. And that's important for someone like her. She's used to having everyone else, but not necessarily having someone for herself. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen this kind of behavior before. It was just uh, interesting to see it played out on screen like this. Uh, so yeah, I was just kind of wondering what your insight was into that. So yeah. Yeah. It's a part of, part of Tamara, part of a couple of other friendships I have a lot, a lot of Tamara. Tamara is like, Oh yeah, I already know that that's going to happen. So I'm not even going to have that conversation. And my (laughs) friends are like, but wait, how do you know? Like you don't, you have to stay in this moment. So that's been, you know, my, my lesson to myself for the last like four or five years is just stay in this moment. Like don't concern yourself with what the next moment's going to be. You can't control that moment. All you have is right now. So what does right now look like? Are you good right now? You're good right Mm. now. So just, yeah, stay there. I, I was also very curious if you were into, you know, football or just sports in general, because there, oh, there's a I lot am, of that in this movie. Um, I make football. Because that was like, I think it was Tanya again, who was like, maybe we give her, give Jillian something. I was like, she's going to be addicted to, fo-, like, she's going to be a football, like, <laughs> idiot savant. And I think there was like, there's another scene that ended up being cut from the movie because it's too long. But there's mm. this moment where um, you see Jillian where they have they have the whole uh picnic i mean the whole backyard shenanigans and everyone spends the night and suzanne gets up in the middle of the night and jillian is walking around um trevor's trophy room and suzanne sees her and she starts like spouting off these stats and she's like oh my god in the fourth quarter da, 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 da. <laughs> and suzanne just look, gives her a look and that's me like i am the biggest football like my life to this day on Sunday is around (laughs) when the Saints play so Uh, if the Saints are playing at 10 a.m don't expect me anywhere at 10 (laughs) a.m don't call me my dad three weeks ago my dad like calls my bonus mom and he's like, I feel away. I feel away. She does not. She never answers my calls during the football game. She'll answer Jaden, who's my little brother. She answers mm-hmm. Jaden's calls, but she doesn't answer my calls. I'm like, everyone knows. Don't call me. And if we lose, don't like. I need a moment to like. I have my little rituals. I like. I watch the games on mute. I am usually like circling my tape. It's just. It's a whole thing. Me and football. And it's not one of those as if it were, um, oh, you know, such and such has a nice uniform. No, like I can go toe to toe with 
anybody when it comes to football and stats and arguing um, who's the best, who's not the best, um, why I don't like a certain player that everyone else likes. Like it's 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 a little bit ridiculous. I have a my brother in law, like my big sister's um, husband, used to play football, and he laughs because he's we were over his her house one day and he tells his friend like don't get into she knows more about football than I do and I played the game <laughs> and it's just it, it's the best sport ever and and not not football he's not in football but uh, Victor Oladipo I noticed uh, well he's in the movie for a second but then he's also yeah. a producer I I was just yes. kind of curious how that came about he um he was our financier <laughs> um, oh yeah so he uh he works with a guy who, Neiman Johnson, another EP, who happens to be um, like Megan's brother-in-law's manager. And he says, you know, Vic, I have this guy, this client who is looking to possibly invest in films. Like, do you guys have anything? And we're like, uh, yeah. <laughs> like yeah like we keep hearing no from everybody else or we hear yes from people but then they want us to change all of these things that make our movie our movie so we we did a preliminary pitch to his like business manager slash like every everything guy his right hand guy James Henderson who's also an EP we did an original pitch to him and he was like I think Victor will really like be into this so we pitched it to Vic and literally like we're on a computer he's on facetime in like the back seat of a car and he's listening <laughs> to our pitch and he's like yeah y'all have me at black women whatever you need like, <laughs> he was like i i was raised by a so strong awesome. black woman i have four <laughs> sisters so yeah whatever y'all need let them know i'm in and <laughs> We're like, wait, what? <laughs> like, I'm so confused. <laughs> He's like, yeah. He was like, this is amazing. What you guys are doing is amazing. And I want to support you. So that's how. And he's like the sweetest human he, being. He's really nice. He's really interesting. He's multi-talented, man. He can he's, sing. He uh, almost one mass singer <laughs> of all things. So talented. Yeah. It's But when I say like nice like yeah. uh, you can tell you sometimes athletes have these horrible reputations mm -hmm. reputations of being like you know these ego driven or they're used to being the best so they're you know they expect all these things if I didn't know he played basketball and he wasn't you know as tall as he is I <laughs> wouldn't know like he's just so humble so sweet just so supportive like he came to one of the festival screenings and he was like a little kid like oh my god y'all really did this this is so amazing like it's <laughs> just this wonderment and it's as you know first time filmmakers you couldn't ask for a better partner because he That's was like awesome. hey I don't know this business I'm learning so y'all just make a movie and tell me how it turns out Oh, that's awesome. Well, I, I, we run, we run out of time. Unfortunately, I wish I could talk some more with you, Absolutely. but, uh, but, uh, but, uh, we'd like to thank, uh, Tamara Bass for, for coming in and giving, uh, her time. Thank you so much, Tamara. Yes, thank, thank you guys so much for having me. This is a great conversation and thanks for guys for watching the movie. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the movie is, if not now, when it comes out January 8th on demand and digital, 
Um, uh, but that's going to do it for this interview. It's Chris Atkinson and Jonathan Watkins. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com.